Good to see all of you again here this morning. If you would, take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23 this morning, as we continue in the series entitled, Lead Me to the Cross. And on this day, as we look forward to celebrating the resurrection of Christ, and have in the back of our mind all that Jesus must have gone through, and, and, and how he must have felt, and all that he was experiencing leading up to the cross we can imagine this last week in the life of Jesus the thoughts the emotions the feelings but never quite understand completely the high cost of dying for the sins of the world and as we come to the cross we have to ask ourselves something that we come face to face with about Jesus all the time but particularly this week and that is a question that I want to ask you this morning and that is how concerned are you you know when you think about being faithful I shared in our church newsletter some of you have a chance to read that throughout the week and gave some examples of faithfulness in that article if you were to start your car seven out of ten times if you were to turn the key and the car started seven out of ten times you probably would not say that you have a faithful car. If you opened up the refrigerator and every couple of days your refrigerator didn't work and all of your food was spoiled, but yet some days it did work, you probably would get a new refrigerator. If you went out to check the mail and two or three days a week the postman just decided not to put mail in your mailbox, you, you would probably say that your postman is a bit forgetful. There are times that we count faithfulness much more seriously than when we look at ourselves. And of course, the article that I shared had to do with worship attendance, and that's the answer that one particular pastor gave. But, you know, there's sometimes that we open up the Bible, and particularly this week as we look at the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, and and we sit back almost like we're watching a movie eating popcorn and say, you know, that Jesus, he's really something. Look at all that he went through. Can you imagine? I mean, just wow, what a guy that he would do all of that for us. And we watch all that Jesus did and we're just like, boy, Jesus never lets us down. And we sit back almost in amazement that somebody could be so faithful and do so many things. And, and it's almost like a, a fairy tale of sorts. But yet when you open the Bible, you see someone who was beaten, arrested, left alone, dropped down in a dungeon overnight, left there by himself in complete darkness, was arrested and beaten after all these trumped-up charges and had to hear people scream to crucify him and crucify him, and he had to die between two thieves in a cruel, most humiliating way. And yet, when we look at all that Jesus did, and we don't see it like a movie, and we don't treat him like this amazing character following a script, we see the Son of the living God dying in our place and for our sin. We have to ask ourselves, now in response to that, 
How concerned am I about what concerned Jesus and the reason that He died? How much is my heart moved by the same things that move the heart of the Son of God? How willing am I every single day to live out my faith for the same reason that Jesus walked that path and died on that cross? And would I be willing to put all of my wants and needs and desires aside for the benefit of someone else? Would I be willing to walk that path because of my faith and trust in Jesus? My question to you this morning, church, is how concerned are you with the same things that concern the heart of Jesus Christ? If you found Luke chapter 23, we're going to be in verse 26 through verse 43. And if you're able to, would you stand in the honor of reading God's Word? The Bible tells us in Luke 23 that as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And it was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, and the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. And now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for, his, for this spectacle 
when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts, and all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, how thankful we are this morning for the old rugged cross. Father, how thankful we are that many years before you made certain that the seed was planted that would grow the tree upon which Jesus would die. And Father, had it not been for the great sacrifice of Jesus, we would have no hope today. If it was not for the glorious resurrection of the Lord Jesus, we would have no hope for all of eternity. And Father, in our thankfulness today for what Jesus has done for us, may you find that faithfulness lived out every day and in every way. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In the cross of Jesus and at the crucifixion, we find that there are three types of people that Jesus is concerned about. And I want to ask you this morning what your level of concern is for those that are around the cross. The Bible tells us, first of all, that we ought to care about those who need to be saved. Friend, there are people in the world who do not even realize today that apart from Jesus, they will spend eternity in a place called hell. And Jesus knew all too well that there were generations around the cross that needed to be saved. You see, there is always going to be the next generation if God tarries in sending His Son and if there is another generation to come as we hear babies and we see young children and we see these growing up before us, we wonder, will this be the generation in which Jesus comes again? These women that saw Jesus walking toward the place called the skull and seeing this man, Simon of Cyrene, take upon his back the crossbeam of carrying for Jesus because he had become so weak from all the beatings and the blood loss and, and the whipping upon his back. Simon helped to carry the cross and these women came and said something to Jesus and he saw them crying. But Jesus said to them in this text of Scripture, don't cry for me. Instead, he said, cry for the next generation. You see, Jesus gives us some amazing words when he said that they were coming there will be coming a day when they'll say blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore these women that have never given birth and had never nursed children and had never raised up the next generation they'll be thankful because jesus says there is that generation whether that generation is on the planet now or yet to be born there are going to be moms of young children that are going to cry and weep and wail because it is during their life that the Son of Man will come and God will unleash wrath upon this world that is promised all throughout the Gospels and through the book of Revelation. Jesus said that day is coming. You're crying for me because I've been beaten. You're crying for me because I'm about to die. But instead, cry for that generation that is literally going to feel the wrath of God poured out upon this world. 
and those that may have to live through it because they've never come to know Jesus personally. You see, Jesus has an amazing analogy that you cannot miss. He says in verse 31, He says, For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it's dry? You take a bunch of wood that has got a lot of life in it. You break those branches apart and you see green all throughout there. You take a bunch of that wood and you try to light it on fire. It will take forever if it ever burns. But you take that wood that is dry, that is lifeless, that is dead and been dead a long time, and you set a match on it, it will go up instantly. Jesus said, my death right now, at this generation watching these things, the wood is green. But the further removed from the cross of Jesus that you get, the more dry and dead and despondent the generations will be. Listen, someone once said wisely, if things go on as they have, imagine the things the children of the next generation will have to do to shock their parents. Some of you sitting in this room can imagine, if my parents knew some of the stuff that I did, they would roll over in their grave. Imagine the next generation further removed from the cross where the wood is even drier than it was in yours. Imagine another generation being raised up where fewer young families are involved in church, where fewer mom and dads know Jesus personally, where fewer communities are solidified by the cross of Jesus, where people look forward to worshiping Christ and a generation that is fragmented because there's no connection to the cross. When the time of the judgment fire is to come, that wood will light up instantly because it is so dry. Friend, I'm asking you today, how concerned are you for people that need to be saved? How much time during the week are you praying for the current generation being raised up in our preschools and our elementary schools and our middle schools and high schools and colleges? How faithfully are you praying for your grandchildren and great-grandchildren, for the children that they will have if the Lord continues to wait? How faithfully are you you going to the Lord in prayer for those that need to be saved? Those friends, those co-workers, those neighbors that you know are outside of the family of God. Friend, the fire of judgment is going to come. And it is our responsibility to bring Christ to them and give them the opportunity to turn from their sin. Because it's not only the next generation, but it's also the current generation that Jesus is concerned about. If you notice, He goes to the cross in verse 32. And the Bible says that he was placed between two criminals, two people that actually deserved the cross upon which they hung. And the Bible says in verse 34 that Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. These people that had nailed him to the cross, this crowd that had cried crucified him, they had no concept that what they were doing was exactly what God had planned from the foundation of the world. They had no idea that their cry for peace 
of getting rid of this man and hanging him on a cross and watching him die was the very thing they needed to have peace from God. They wanted this teacher, this supposed blasphemer, they wanted him killed out of their lives for good, but they had no idea that by killing him, they were providing for themselves the salvation from the very sin that nailed him to the cross. Isn't that ironic? That we drive away the very thing that we need only to prove that much more that that's exactly what we need. People run from God all of the time. And then in desperation cry out to Him and God delivers them in an instant because there's no place you can run. There's no distance that you can get away from God. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This generation, your generation, whether you have children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren, whether you're not even married yet and have yet to even anticipate what your future life holds. Friend, I'm telling you, the time is now to turn to Jesus. Don't in ignorance run from Him thinking, I have plenty of time. I have another opportunity. I'm not ready to surrender my life to Jesus now. He says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They have no concept that they're running from the very place that they need to run to. Jesus sees people scoffing at Him. Laughing at Him. Dividing His garments. One says, He saved others. Let Him save Himself. If He's the Christ of God, His chosen one. The soldiers mocked and said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. People do this all the time. They look at God and they say, God, if you're really all that, do something special. Do something amazing. Flicker the lights. Write something on the wall. Make something appear. Make something disappear. God, make something happen. If you're real, Enlarge my bank account. God, if you're real, do this for me. God, if you're real, do that because that's what I want. God, if you really exist, come on and show me yourself. Jesus says, look to the cross and you'll see that I'm real. Look to the cross and you'll see that God sent His one and only Son 2,000 years ago to set you free from your sin. God has already shown up and shown off. God has already shown Himself for who He is. Friend, He is calling you to come to the cross, not run to selfish things that you want, but to run to the one place that you need. I remember when the kids were little, there was one particular moment that all of us were sick except Lee. Now you all clapped and honored her just a few moments ago, and rightfully so because she deserves all kinds of credit for putting up with me and our three children. But there was a time that all of us were sick except her. And she handed out medicine like it was in a Pez dispenser. You know what I mean? She just made sure everybody had their stuff. I'll never forget when Nathan got sick and she got him sort of well enough and cleared up enough, but he still had a cough. 
And she gave him cough medicine. And it wasn't the little bitty kitty kind, you know, the, the pink stuff with tons of sugar in it. I mean, even, what's her name? Mary Poppins says a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. This was the real deal. This was the stuff that would, I mean, this is like shoe polish type cough medicine. She put it in his mouth and his face looked like it was dog food left over from six years ago. I mean, he made a face like it was the most nasty, awful tasting stuff and I thought he was going to kick her, honestly. I thought he was just going to kick her for putting this in his mouth. Those of you with children, you, you know this. Kids get upset and they get mad about taking medicine, but you know if they'll just take it, and just swallow it, trust me, you'll feel better. But they put on a big show, and they kick, and they fuss, and they don't want to have it, but boy, they never fuss when that cough goes away. They never get mad when the green stuff stops coming out of every orifice on their face. They don't cry and fuss at night when you lay them down and their ear is not throbbing with an earache. They'll fuss taking the medicine, but they never fuss when they feel well. This is what's wrong with a sick generation. The medicine has been available for thousands of years. And people would rather have a throbbing ear and a sore throat or some sickness or some disease. They would rather have that than to take the medicine that may taste awful in the moment because it is the reality of our sinfulness. But that medicine, the blood of Jesus, does an eternity's worth of good. And Jesus has provided that for you and for me and for this generation and for the next and for the next and for the next until Jesus comes again, that blood is going to be available. And I'm asking you, how concerned are you for those that need to be saved? And how willing are you to make sure that that medicine is offered to those that need it? We need to care about those who need to be saved. But Jesus also teaches us at the cross that we need to be concerned about and care about those that want to be saved. Those that are eager to come to the cross and those that are already there. Notice in this next part of this text when Jesus cares about those who want to be saved. You see the first thief in verse 39. One of the criminals also had some choice words for Jesus. And they said, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. You see, this man didn't want to be saved eternally. This man wanted to be saved temporarily. This man did not want deliverance from his sin. He wanted deliverance from his suffering. This man did not want down off the cross and have a home in heaven. This man wanted down off the cross so he could walk back to his regular house. And the other thief knows exactly what this man is saying and why, probably because he thought the same thing. But he says in verse 40, Do you not fear God since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? We indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. 
He looks at Jesus and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You see, the difference between these two thieves is perhaps the difference between two people that are here this morning. The difference between these two thieves is some person wants relief from their sin. They want to be free from it. They don't want the condemnation for it. They don't want the consequences of it. They just want God to make their life easier. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm certainly not going to ask you to point. But perhaps there's somebody here today or somebody who will hear this message who says, yes, that's me. I don't really want a relationship with God. I just want God to make my life easier. I want Him to just take care of some issues in my life and, and help me with some stuff and just make things a little easier for me. That's really all that I want. And those people do not want to be eternally saved. They just want temporary satisfaction. And friend, I'm just going to tell you, it's not outside of the power of God to unleash goodness upon you and, and take away those consequences and to make your life easier. God is certainly able to do that. I mean, think for just a moment about Jesus' ministry. How many blind eyes did Jesus touch? How many hungry people did Jesus feed? How many poor people came to Jesus and walked away blessed? How many times did Jesus make a lame man to walk? Or again, someone blind to see? For it is not outside of the realm of the power of God to touch your life and deliver you from some sickness or, or illness or some terrible situation you're in. But to say to God, that's all I want, is selling God short. God has sent His Son to deliver you from all things, not some things. God has sent His Son to deliver you for all of eternity, not just in the here and now. And I'll tell you, it, what's amazing is if your eternity is settled, all of a sudden the here and now is not that important. If you know that your home is in heaven, you may not have the nicest house in the neighborhood, but that's okay. If you know that all of your sins are forgiven by God, then if your bank account doesn't have as many zeros as you'd like for it to, that's all right. If you have a relationship with God and your life is filled with the Spirit of the living God, you may not have the quality or the quantity of friendships that you would love to have, but you know that Jesus is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. This man looks at the criminal and he says in the Randy Revised Version, Are you nuts? Are you not afraid? Because all you want is Jesus to get you off of this cross so you can walk back home? This other criminal looks at the first one and says, we're getting what we deserve. And I'm okay with that. 
I just want to know when I die, Jesus, that I won't go to hell, but instead I'll go to heaven with you. And Jesus says to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Friend, Jesus' promises are for eternity, but they are good right now. They have no expiration date. They will not run out. God might give you a million dollars. God might give you a fancy car. God might give you a big house. And God may not. But when God gives you a home in heaven, when He gives you Himself, when He forgives you of all of your sin and invites you into His kingdom to where you can live at home in heaven with Him, you have everything you need. And there are people in the world that need to be saved. In fact, sometimes preachers need to be saved. <laughs> I don't know who said amen, but I'm going to pretend not to take offense to that. But I agree. Charles Berry was an English preacher many years ago who stood before God's people preaching every week without a personal relationship with God. He would preach about the goodness of God. He would preach about all of the, the ways in which God would make your life better. He got a knock on his door one night. Just past midnight, a, a woman whose mother was dying. And this woman, who was a member of his congregation, came to the pastor because her mother was dying and she knew that her mother did not have a relationship with Christ. She came to Charles Berry and knocked on his door and said, Pastor, you've got to come and talk to my mother. He came and sat by her bedside. Started telling her all of these wonderful things about how God could give her a good life and how God could bless her and, and how God could do all of these great things and make her into an amazing person. She said, sir, you don't understand. I've run out of time for all of that. I need to know what's going to happen to me when I die. And Charles Berry said, that he went back in his mind to sitting on his mother's lap. And hearing the story of the cross. And he went back and he remembered about the old rugged cross and he began to tell this lady the story of the, the shed blood and the broken body of Jesus and how Jesus died to give her eternal life. And right then and there, Charles Berry led this woman to Christ and himself as well. In fact, he was quoted as saying, he said, I got her in and bless God, I got in myself. Friend, it is not about the car you drive. It's not about the home you have. It's not about the number of friends. It's not about how amazing God makes your life today. It is about your eternal destiny. And even if God doesn't deliver you, even if God doesn't keep that sickness from you, even if God doesn't expand your bank account, God will expand your eternity in heaven with Him. And that is what is of most importance. If you need to be saved, don't come to Jesus to get blessed. Don't come to Jesus to get stuff. Come to Jesus to get saved for all of eternity.
and let Him handle all of the rest. Which brings me to the last concern. We need to care about those that need to be saved. And we need to care about those that want to be saved. But friend, all of that starts when we care about the one who can save. And I pray today that your care and your concern starts with the one who can save us all. Look in verse 44. The Bible says about the sixth hour of darkness. The curtain of the temple was torn. And in verse 46, the Bible says, Then Jesus, calling out in a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he breathed his last. And in verse 47, the centurion said, After he had praised God, he said, Certainly this man was innocent. You see, there are people here today, like that centurion, who feel a sense of responsibility of putting Jesus on that cross. I'm going to tell you, friend, it is because of you. You may not have driven the nails in His hand. You may not have thrust the spear in His side. You may not have spit upon Jesus and hit Him, but it was by our sin that led Him to the cross. But the centurion who was as far removed from being a Jew and being involved in this process spiritually as possible, looked upon the shed blood and the broken body of Jesus after He had breathed His last and said, this man was innocent. And today you can confess your faith and trust in Jesus. By looking upon Him and saying, I'm a sinner. This is my fault. It's because of me. Friend, you're the exact reason why Jesus died. Jesus doesn't look at you and blame you and hate you. He looks at you and says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. There are others that are there. The crowd had assembled and they went home beating on their breast, on their chest and all his acquaintances at verse 49 says, and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Some of us who have placed our faith and trust in Jesus are standing at a distance just watching what God is doing. Some of you are standing at a distance and you see someone in the community, you see a neighbor or a friend or somebody at work or even your own children and grandchildren said, you know, somebody ought to tell them about Jesus. And, and you're standing at a distance because it, it, it makes you uncomfortable. It's awkward. I don't know what I would say. I've, I've talked to that person a million times. I, I don't know what to do. So, so somebody, somebody ought to tell them about Jesus. Some of you perhaps are seeing what God is doing in the life of this church. And instead of joining this family of God and being a part, you're, you're kind of standing at a distance and saying, uh, so, somebody ought to get involved up there. Somebody ought to volunteer over that. You know, somebody's got, somebody ought to, ought to do something. 
Good thing that God doesn't do that in our life. I'm thankful that God doesn't stand at a distance from my life and keep His hands off and, 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 and wish to God that somebody else would do something. No, God comes and gets personally involved in my life. God comes to meet needs. God comes to mend hearts. God comes to take care of broken families. Friend, if your care and your concern for Jesus is up close and personal and your arms are around the cross and you're hand in hand with people that need to come to Jesus and you're walking them closer to the cross, if your heart beats for the things of God, then you are passionately involved in the ministry of God and not standing at a distance. Because God took it upon Himself to do everything necessary to save you. Not from a distance, but up close and personal. There was an author who wrote about his life story. And he said his life really changed when he was five years old. Because at five years old, this is before child safety seats in the back and seat belts. He was sitting on his mother's lap in the front row, on the front seat of the car, while his dad drove and his brother and sister were in the back. And at five, he's just sitting there on his mother's knee and a drunk driver pulled out in front of them and hit them head on, on the highway. He says, I have no memory at all of the crash. All I remember is sometime later opening my eyes and seeing that I was covered in blood. He soon found out that it wasn't his blood. Because in that split second before that other car hit his car, his mother grabbed him, curled her body around him. Her neck and head hit the dashboard. Her head hit the windshield and it, she gave her life protecting her son. And it was her blood that covered him. And it was her life that was lost that day so that he might have life. Friend, Jesus knew what was coming. He knows what's ahead for you. And by His grace and for His glory, you can be covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. And Jesus has taken the punishment for you. Jesus is not someone to stand off from. Jesus is not one to just keep your distance from. Jesus gets up close and personal and applies His blood to all of your sin. If you'll come to Him and turn from your selfishness, Turn from your sin and trust in Him. And that blood can be applied to your life as well. And as a response today, many of us who have trusted in Jesus and have had the precious blood of Jesus cover our sin need to be concerned about the One who can save and stay close to Jesus. And then, by God's grace, do everything we can to get as many people there as possible. That'll never happen if you stand off. 
But if you get up close and personal with other people and bring them to the cross of Jesus, they too can have their sins forgiven. They too can have the blood of Jesus cover their sin. But my question is, how concerned are you? Concerned enough to stand back and watch? Or concerned enough to get up close and personal? Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, during this time of response, as we individually, Father, ask ourselves, how concerned are we about the cross of Jesus? How concerned are we about the salvation of others? God, how concerned are we about seeing people in our family, people in our community have their sins forgiven through the shed blood of Jesus? God, may you speak to our hearts during this time. And Lord, if there is some decision that needs to be made to come closer to the cross of Jesus, God, may today be the day, may, may now be the hour that that decision is made. Lord, if there is someone here that needs to come to Christ to be saved, God, would your Holy Spirit draw them to him? Lord, if there is someone who has given their life to Christ, but Father, in the days and weeks and months that have passed, they've backed away from being involved in what you're doing. In your kingdom activity, God, may you bring them closer to the cross of Jesus today. Father, there are families in our church that know that you're calling them to re-engage in the life of this church or to become a part of what you're doing, God, would you lead them to the cross of Christ? And God, may that be what brings us together. Father, we give this time of response over to you and pray that you would do a great work as we surrender our hearts to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Randy Johnson. Thank you so much for joining me for What's the Word? That show airs every Wednesday night at 6 o'clock on 101.9 WAIN right here in the heart of Adair County in Columbia, Kentucky. Or you can catch the replay of What's the Word on my podcast, which is called Walk This Way. And you can find that in several different places. You can find it at anchor.fm backslash walkthisway on the internet, or you can find it on different apps and, and places that carry podcasts like iTunes, Spotify, Pocket Cast, and all sorts of uh, places. You can find this broadcast. You can find messages that I've preached. And I just want to encourage you to make it a point to tune in, subscribe, and listen to all sorts of content that's on my podcast, which is called, again, Walk This Way. Thank you so much for joining me.